So our heart behind these nights really is to um, foster conversation um, in around just a whole heap of different topics. But right now what we're talking about is um, cultivating a healthy space for Holy Spirit to dwell. And really what that is is we're we're circling in around um, uh, the parable of the sower and the, the different sort of soul conditions that 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 exist that Jesus talks about and and that he addresses um, healthy soul producing good fruit um, and multiplying. So what does that really look like and what is our responsibility in around developing that healthy soil? And so we did that last month and we just sort of meandered through a few different um, aspects of that. And so tonight we want to do the same. And really our heart is um, at some point, we would love you guys just to be able to feel comfortable enough, and, and I'm hoping it's tonight, um, to be able to just interact with that conversation, to be able to, to interject, in, to wrestle, to say, hey, I, I'm not quite sure about what you're saying there. Um, can you please explain that? Or this has been my experience that God has, has facilitated in my life. That's, I've been able to see more of what he's doing in my life through this experience. And so because I really feel that when we look for God in each other, we see more of him. Um, and we can learn so much from each other's experiences. Um, so rather than having one person sit here going, hey, this is how you're going to do it, and this is what the Bible says, is that which there's nothing wrong with that. But what we would love is that it would be a conversation. A conversation is a two-way, um, is a two-way street, really. Yeah. So please feel free tonight to be able to... Um, to know that you have permission to, to enter in, um, to wrestle. We're comfortable with wrestle. We don't have all the answers. You might have a piece of the puzzle that we've been waiting for for years. Um, so please feel comfortable to do that. Um, I'm just going to ask Jody, have you got your mic? Yeah, just Jody to open up in prayer for us. Um, and then we'll get started. Hey, and just, you know, just so you guys know, we, we haven't sat and gone through a bunch of notes and and kind of planned any of this. We have a rough idea what is on our heart, and really our desire is that Holy Spirit will lead, lead the rest of it, and um, I'm comfortable that he will if we give him the space to. So that's my heart tonight. So, um, But maybe before we pray, I just want to introduce a couple of people that are going to help with this conversation. So Brad Joss from Paradox Church. Uh, most of you would know, and Jody Rempel. So um, Greg is usually with us or was with us last month. He's just um, um, just had a little baby, and so he's busy doing baby things. Uh, I'm hopefully, hope, hopefully he'll be back with us next month. Um, Jody, would you like to pray for us? That'd be great. Lord Jesus, we just come to you and we thank you for this, um, just this beautiful opportunity to come and gather um, and and just enter into this space as we open our hearts to what you want to say to us um, through each other, Lord, and through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we invite you here um, to do what only you can do, Lord Jesus. And and we pray for um, for courage in each of us to speak your truth, to ask the necessary questions, Lord, and just have a time of learning, um, yeah, and growing in you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you like a kickoff? Hi. Um, 
in pondering, I think, even the concepts and the topics that, uh, so what we spoke about last week, tonight, I thought it'd be great to have a conversation around uh, the wellspring of life, where Jesus, you know, the scripture that uh, he would put a well in us, the woman at the well. I think the big picture part of that for me, and I think sometimes what can be lacking in the church is uh, an understanding of how much responsibility we have when it comes to our relationship with God and the part that God has called us to play in producing um, whole and healthy vessels for his spirit to dwell in. So we have become temples of the Holy Spirit. We, we all know that scripturally. Uh, and But we are the ones who are caretakers of that temple. And obviously there's lots of different kind of imagery. We spoke about the garden uh, and that metaphor of, of the soil types. And, and again, there's this idea of, of our responsibility in that process. Uh, when it comes to us being wellsprings or being a temple, there's a part where um, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And I think unfortunately... Sometimes in church culture, it can be a lot about taking responsibility away from people or us putting responsibility on other people, uh, whether it's the, the issues that we've dealt with in life uh, where we might use kind of blame as a, as a mechanism to, to shift responsibility to other people. But uh, I love seeing people um, come to a place where they recognize how powerful they are to make decisions that have an impact acknowledging that God is the powerful one we need the Holy Spirit to empower us um, but we're also we're not powerless outside of that as well like we have responsibility we have which really responsibility is an ability to respond uh, so in every situation I have responsibility it means I have the ability to respond but oftentimes through uh, through our upbringing through, through trauma, through neglect, through different things, uh, we can get stuck in particular places internally in our hearts that uh, don't enable us to respond to life well or they don't enable us to respond to life in, in a healthy way, in a full way. Uh, and so that's I, my, my passion is really to see people become responsible followers of Jesus uh, and to recognize that uh, in Christ we are powerful but within ourselves we have this ability to to say well I'm going to take responsibility for me and it's not someone else's responsibility to, to do that uh, where in modern church contexts oftentimes it's like well everything's facilitated for me uh, and and you know there's that language of consumer culture in the church um, but I think in it's like in any business you've got suppliers and consumers but the suppliers only exist because the consumers exist uh, if you started a business and no one bought your product you, you'd go out of business pretty quickly and so I think there's uh, responsibility that can be taken on both sides where we maybe the church has corporately has created a consumer culture but then the people within the the church have just become consumers like okay what are you putting before me Cool, I'll eat that and you know so someone's almost someone's worshiping on my behalf someone's learning the scriptures on my behalf and teaching it to me someone's preparing the discipleship course that I go and attend to learn the knowledge that I just go away and you know everything's kind of provided for us and we don't 
um, discover what it is to be responsible ones that pursue God on, on their own. Um, yeah. And I just think that's interesting because often the interpretation is not there to recognize that just turning up and doing it from a habitual perspective is actually not taking responsibility. So we can often be um, under the guise of, well, I serve and I do and I occasionally read my Bible and I pray. Um, that that, is, that might be a particularly healthy place. And we're not saying that it, it isn't, but is it all that God's got for you? And I think there's so much more. And it's getting to that place of recognizing that um, even some of these places that may look like good places could be stuck places. Um, I, I, it's quite interesting in, in this last couple of weeks where we've been, we, we had a retreat and, and there were a lot of people that had, you know, had received a lot of prayer ministry and, and almost, I think in all case, most of the cases, um, the comment coming back was, I didn't realize I didn't realize that all of this was there. I didn't realize I was stuck or I didn't realize that I'd just been attending and that, that God had so much more for me. And um, I, I just, just, yeah, I just think it's important to recognize that um, those places may look like good places, yeah. I love it. I mean, even looking at the scripture, John 4, um, with the woman at the well, and obviously she, uh, Jesus asked her for a drink, they go through that kind of uh, the back and forth there. But it says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give uh, him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. But I think as well when we recognize that we become very good at drinking but we don't recognize that we're supposed to be the fountain to the world. Uh, and that's what it looks like to go from, uh, from consuming to producing. And again, none, none of it's our, our work, but, but when we partner with the Holy Spirit, we become a wellspring of life. And it's not just, it's welling up, like a, a well in a town was there to, to supply the town. <laughs> it wasn't just for one person. They, not everyone had their own well in their own backyard. It was a central place where they would come. And this idea that uh, so much of what Jesus did, even where the Holy Spirit today could still dwell in a temple somewhere and we could all go there and visit him. But what Jesus does is he multiplies himself by the Spirit. He even says to his disciples, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit might come. And we become then these mobile vessels of God, these mobile arcs you know, of the presence of God going everywhere and we get to become this, this wellspring of, of living water that gets to them be a blessing beyond us. Um, I think, you know, the conversation we had last time about producing good fruit and I think I came away going, I hope people didn't feel like that language was about, I've got to do more things to produce more fruit. Um, this, I don't think that's the intent of certainly not my heart of what I was saying but, but there is something that the natural overflow of my life is that I would become a blessing to others and, and impact the world around me not just be a receiver of what God has for me but to be a you know it's, that, it's the reservoir versus the conduit of, of the presence of God and, and, and that's the beautiful blessing that we get to participate with God on this journey of becoming 
a, a wellspring where the spirit of God can move not just in us but also through us to impact uh, the world around us. So. Jody, did you want to maybe just share some thoughts? And I, I like the way Brad puts it from the perspective of, you know, going and drinking to the overflow. So, you know, I was thinking about that this afternoon, reading that scripture and the physicality of, of, of Jacob digging that well, um, you know, then the, the, with the water coming out. But the reality of that well, the um, I suppose the... The reason it was put there was so that when people were thirsty, they would come and 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 drink, right? As opposed to Jesus saying, "I'm I'm giving you living water inside; it is going to flow from you," you know. Period. Um, so then it's flowing out of you, as opposed to "I am now thirsty; I need something; I'll go drink." So I would, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, just yeah, hearing Brad talk. Um, and I just wanted to just quickly touch just before that on, you know, when you were mentioning that consumer culture that sometimes we can be involved in in church. And, you know, we can come to church and, you know, I've been part of, um, you know, pastor for a, a couple of years. And um, it also is a, two, a two-sided street when you're, you're in that role, when we can rock up to church and we look to the platform and we look to you know our leaders to meet our needs and that is actually it's a very easy system to slip into and it's also but as a pastor also it's a very dangerous position on both sides when we're looking to a person to actually be the holy spirit for us and you know that i think that's why there can tend to be quite a lot of burnout in our church leadership and you know this in this culture is that you know, because you can feel the pressure of, oh my goodness, there's so much need out there. There's so many people that are requiring so much, you know, attention and and the heart is genuinely, I really want to be there for everyone and I really want to meet their needs and I want to meet with these 300 people, <laughs> you know, and the heart is there. But I, I just love that, you know, God has given each and every one of us the Holy Spirit within us, um, that when we get this like really deep within us that we are all the overflow that we can actually be ministers to each other and that we can does that make sense like working in that overflow and so it's not just resting on those that are speaking from the platform or those that have a label or those that are titled you know pastor their roles are very important and teaching and it's not undermining or underestimating the roles of those positions but it certainly isn't to be the Holy Spirit like their role isn't to be the Holy Spirit to anyone um, but and I just think that's you know that consumer culture which I believe God is stirring and he is shifting this now as we're you know realizing that we carry you know that that power of the Holy Spirit and getting that real revelation that we can all come alongside each other and truly um, you know yeah, if that makes sense. But I just think that's really, it's just so, so important in this, in this day and age. And I think there can be a, a concern to empower people. Like if we, if we acknowledge we have the resurrection power of Christ dwelling in us, you know, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Romans says, you know, dwells in you. How much more will he not give, you know, life to your mortal bodies? Like there's a, there's a significance that I think 
I don't know if I've ever, I certainly haven't fully comprehended the fact that the very presence of God dwells in me. Like that's next level, out of this world, kind of crazy concept. Um, and so I think there can be a concern from some, but like, but if we empower everyone, then they're going to run around making a mess and doing damage, which which can happen as well. But that's why for me, I'm, I'm, I think if this is girded by personal responsibility and maturity, and I'm like, I've got to take on, because if I recognize I have the very power that created the universe dwells in me that I have to be responsible for that if I have the sword of the spirit um, then I need to understand I can do a whole lot of damage with that sword I can do a whole lot of good stuff um, or I can do a whole lot of bad stuff Um, but that's why for me I'm like I think people need to be empowered and released to to run with God but they also need to be equipped and and matured to be able to, to steward the presence of God well. So. And how do you see that done? Like how, in your space, what does that look like? Because yeah. it's not, you know, it's not the norm necessarily. It's, it's easier to bring people into a room, be able to, to give them direction to some degree, but then empowering and, and discipling and sending out is, is a very different thing. So yeah. what does that look like for you? I, I think, I mean, discipleship is the key. Um, there has to be a, a, a value for wanting to grow, which means there has to be a desire and a willingness to be challenged. There has to be a humility to, to acknowledge, man, I've missed it or I've got it wrong or I've, I don't know. Like I'm, uh, I remember for me when I had, I guess, what was like a baptism in the Holy Spirit experience, but it was like God opened my eyes to the kingdom realm and I went from like I'd, I'd been a pastor for seven years. Then I planted a church. So I was like, I felt like I knew something. <laughs> you know, I, I, I knew enough to, to, to go that far. And then six months in, I have this encounter with God and it felt like I just became a little child. But I'm thankful that maybe God graced me with humility to then just position myself as a learner and to get around people who were um, who were part of the church that I was leading that I was willing to submit myself to because I knew they carried something that I was not mature in. Um, so I think certainly having a, a healthy discipleship culture where it's normal to confront one another on things, it's normal to challenge, it's normal to, I mean, even in this context, it's like we're trying to encourage that wrestle and that back and forth, which for me, has become so normal. And I know in talking to, to Kaji, it's like, oh, it's not normal for, like, for people to ask questions and to challenge ideas. Um, in a, sometimes in a church context, it's like, well, you don't, oh, you don't challenge that. Like, what they say is how it is. Um, and, and I'm sure I probably come across with, like, oh, no, Brad, Brad's sure that he knows. I'm like, oh, no, I, I have conviction about what I have conviction about. I tell people, when I... When I think I know something, I feel like I'm 100% right, but I'm ready at any moment to be 100% wrong. <laughs> so I can't, you can't live without conviction and become wishy-washy, but I'm also fully aware that at any time, God or others can, can challenge me. And I want, I think, to, to understand truth exists out here, and our job is to all wrestle around to come to understand what truth is not what my truth is or what my perspective is. If I'm protecting my ideas, um, that's an unhealthy place to be in. But to say, no, Jesus is truth. 
hears, I, you know, I love whatever you think of Bethel and Bill Johnson, but I, I love when he says, you know, Jesus is perfect theology. Like if you look at Christ, he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is the revelation of, of all of the nature of the Father. And so that's what we're after. We're after, well, what is truth? And, and to, to be in an environment where we're pursuing truth, um, not my perspective, not my theology, not my opinion, not what's going to keep me safe, not what's going to head in the direction that I think things should go. Um, I think it's we're, we all posture ourselves to be able to to hear, receive, and respond to what Jesus is saying, and we're all fighting for that same thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Craig, did you want a mic at all? Oh, Les is going. We know you probably don't all want to be on the microphone, but it's helpful for the recording for others later on. So. Um, just because you're saying that exact thing. <laughs> um, so last time we were here, um, you talked a lot about good fruit and bad fruit, and I've heard that at the heart journey too. And all the bad fruit we can grow. And there was like a whole week of bad fruit, right? <laughs> and then a guy last time got up and said, oh, I think you mean, you know, that you're talking about a bad tree, not a bad fruit. And then read an entire passage from the Bible. And I actually felt like you all looked at each other and went, that's actually not our vibe. That's not what we're trying to say. And quickly you just made it like, um, well, that's not really our experience. Our experience is that you can have people who are good trees, but they're growing all this bad fruit. And the way I perceive is probably that two different things are being talked about, possibly. So um, that what you're calling bad fruit and what he's calling bad fruit in, in that passage in the Bible are probably different things, which... I'd be really interested in you talking about, but I did feel like it was just that whole passage was just dismissed. Like it's in the Bible, you just read this whole passage. We've been talking all about good fruit and bad fruit. This kind of almost sounds like it's contradicting what our thing is. So we're just going to say, well, that's not really our experience and really move on and that's it. So I was quite uncomfortable with that because I don't think you can just like, sweep that whole passage away of the Bible without explaining, well, how is that contradiction happening and what is the Bible meaning there? What are you meaning? Because that did sound like what you're just saying now. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, that's a question I have. Like, can you get into that, explain it, rather than just kind of make it like that's kind of wrong, but it's the Bible, so we can't really say it's wrong, so we're just going to move on. Yep. Um. I can't give you a, an in-depth theological um, response to that because I, I don't have I haven't spent time in particularly studying that passage. I haven't other times, but uh, I think it's uh, probably the difficulty is um, having a conversation like that. What was said wasn't a question. What was said was a rebuttal of of everything that had been shared. So I think there's also a place for having a conversation like that that's not public and not um, becoming a, a, a battle of ideas or making people feel uncomfortable as well, I think is a, 
there is a, also a healthy forum for that. Uh, I think if it was posed as a question, hey, what, what do you think about this scripture, um, then we probably would have been a different um, uh, pathway potentially. Um, so I do think they are, they're different contextually and the point of what is trying to come across in those scriptures is different. Um, again, where there's lots of scriptures that talk about similar topics but in very different ways. Um, I mean, there's the, you know, there's the withered, the fig tree that's, that's withered and not producing fruit out of season and, and different things. There are different metaphors that are using similar agricultural terminologies but are, are meant to be actually focusing on different things. Um, so, yeah, to answer the question as to how do you um, respond to that, I think Greg, you know, was the one. I, I guess, yeah. <clears throat> Obviously, there's a place where the fruit is determining that the tree is bad, right? I'm not saying that that's, that, that's just the passage. So like, just yep. a, in the context, and I'm not saying what it exactly means. Yep. And I'm not trying to argue the point at all. Yep. But, um, but, but is the fruit... So if you do produce bad fruit, mm. what you're saying is the, the tree is bad? I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, what does it mean? Like, when it says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Yet we do see in our lives that you see somebody who, or yourself, and you truly want to follow God and then there's times when you're seeing this result in your life which in your kind of context are calling bad fruit. Like I just wonder what... There obviously may be two different things that are happening here, but... Since we talk so much about good fruit and bad fruit, and then it's mentioned like that a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so the context, so Matthew seven fifteen: Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognise them by their fruits. A grapes gathered from thorn bushes or fixed from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. The diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus you, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So again, the context there is false prophets. It's talking about the fruitfulness of what's coming out of their ministry. It's not necessarily a re, uh, uh, response of who they are as people. Um, but Jesus, in the context of these people who are coming, thinking, saying that, oh yes, we are, we are prophets of God, but actually they're false prophets who have bad intentions in that context that that's the good fruit bad fruit kind of framework uh, so he's not he's not necessarily talking about the condition of someone's heart or someone who is you know there's different fruits that come out this is clearly in that particular context of being a in prophetic ministry uh, in that place so again to label a whole person is that entire person are they evil or are they wounded misguided um, but I think what Jesus is talking about is in the context of, of false prophets, um, whereas our language is talking about believers who are, uh, it's, you know, people will say, oh, well, a Christian can't be demon-possessed. As a core, uh, not that there's a scripture, but that can be a cultural kind of norm. And then I'm like, well, I've just met a whole lot of people who thought they were Christians then and who weren't because I've, I've, I've cast demons out of lots of Christians and they love Jesus and yet there's stuck places, there's oppression, there's different things. And all of that, 
Uh, and we use metaphors because that's the best way that we know how to describe really complex things. We talk about body, soul, and spirit as like these three kind of dimensions of who we are, and yet, and that's in in you know I think it's in First or Second Thessalonians. It talks about oh, sorry, um, it it talks about that, but but well, what where's my where's the spirit part and you know we can do three concentric circles and we can talk about this it's 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 an imperfect imagery that's trying to explain a really uh complex spiritual and natural kind of combination um so yeah again i think probably the awkwardness of in that particular interaction was more around um uh, it, it wasn't a question that was posed to wrestle through. It was an it was an answer to a to a question that you had raised earlier, and so. Uh, well, probably, I, I, yeah. I didn't know. I just yeah. I just didn't feel like it. Like, I didn't know what the answer was yeah. basically. So since you said you want the questions and you want to wrestle it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So this is just my simple take on it. I'm no theologian. Theologian. Um, but just listening as we're talking now, I'm thinking, well, if a good tree can't bear bad fruit, that's somebody, I'm just thinking, somebody who's been restored and redeemed, been on that journey of uh, purity and cleansing, the work that God does in your heart. So therefore you've become good and you can't produce a bad fruit from that goodness that he's putting inside of you. This is my opinion. And then the bad tree can't produce good fruit. So that bad tree is somebody who desperately needs to have that restorative work done in their heart and in their, you know, transformation of mind and renewing of mind and healing. And so therefore, if somebody's sitting in that place of mark, there's not going to be a good fruit coming forth from that bad tree. So I just see it so simply like that. But I don't know. It might be wrong. It's just my opinion. And I think also in that situation, because um, I know the gentleman who who spoke up, and so we ended up having a, quite a long conversation afterwards, and then during the week, in regards to all of that, and and an explanation of uh, perhaps the analogies that we were using, um, you know, I know for me, um, I would consider myself a follower of Christ. Do I still produce some bad fruit? Absolutely. Because there are places in my being, you know, Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And and here's someone who is sold out to Christ, right? So there, there are elements of my walk with Christ that I'm, as part of my sanctification process, that I'm still surrendering to him. And those places where I choose not to surrender or I harden my heart or through disobedience or whatever it might be, those places don't produce particularly good fruit. Why? Because they are in disobedience to God, right? So, and, and none of us this out of eternity are ever going to see ourselves with a, a tree just blossoming with all, all sorts of beautiful fruit. There's going to be stuff that's not right. And that's an indicative idea. That, that's indicative of the fact that there's further surrender to be, to be had. 
And, and I, I just think it's that process and we should be comfortable with it, um, comfortable to recognize and then understand what to do, you know, being able to go, you know, one, one, one of the things that's been pivotal for, uh, for Nell and I in our journey is this understanding of prayer ministry, you know, where before I know in my own life, it's this almost, you know, when we met last time, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can say that till the cows come home, but if you've got a root in there that, that is, if you've got a line that, it, that doesn't allow you to believe that, you can say it and say it and say it, but what you need to do is remove that lie to be able to allow God's word to take, take root and then grow. And of the Lord, so it doesn't just stop, there's no condemnation. Yeah, yeah, so so what that means is that there's no condemnation for someone who's who's walking in the fear of the Lord and is surrendering their life to Christ, right? But there will, you know, we are on this journey and, you know, each day is different and each month is different and there are days, I use this this phrase, uh, Jesus says, pick up your cross daily, right? Um, I can pick it up at six o'clock and sometimes I don't know where it is by eight o'clock. It's just our walk. You know, and so I come back to him again, and I say, Lord, you know, as much as I want to follow, I'm for whatever reason I'm not, and I surrender, and I surrender, and I think that is the process. You know, for me, as I'm getting older and learning, I think what God is looking for is that heart position of choosing him before anything else. And if I was truly honest, that's not what I do every day. And when I don't do that, it doesn't particularly produce godly fruit. You know, so I think um, that's my take on it anyway. Sorry, Taryn, did you have something to say? No, you're good? Yeah, I was just going to say that um, you were saying it's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to cling to Christ, just to cling to Christ. And in my experience, when people do that, even if they've passed on, that's reflected. Right? That's something that we can identify. So I see, personally, I see that as fruit. That, that's, that the fruit is not something that we define. It's spiritual fruit. And, no, and just, yeah, just adding to that, you know, that process of sanctification, which is such a, a beautiful journey. Um, but even in, you know, in, in my journey, when, when God reveals things in my heart, and sometimes in the beginning of this journey, I remember, you know, years and decades back, I was just like going, oh, so good, now I'm done, tick, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, oh, phew, thank goodness that's over, <laughs> like I was very young, like, you know, just in my 20s, thinking, cool, I've arrived, you know, you almost get this sense, and, you know, and then a few months later, <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay, you know, Holy Spirit's revealing the next layer, and I have, but, you know, years on now, I am unbelievably grateful to God and his mercy and his grace to not just suddenly go here you go here's all the bad fruit and here's everything that's operating in your heart that's terrible and yeah we're just going to deal with it all because I actually think I would probably you know be admitted somewhere but you know it's just the beautiful grace of God and so you know that whole journey of sanctification is in his time and that is the one thing and then there was a season after that when I realized okay this is an ongoing journey and this is a process I was like all right let's just go there then I started searching I'm like all right this this and I wanted to bring it all up and I wanted to fast track it and be and and God was saying 
actually, now's the time to rest and just be and allow me to reveal and to prompt and to bring that up. And, you know, I'm actually going to be the protector of your heart. And, and he will. And he brings it up in the next, you know, that next journey. And it's just this beautiful journey of going, oh, my gosh, God, your grace is enough. And it's not, you know, like Kudge said, I don't think we're ever going to arrive on this side of eternity. And it doesn't mean that we're not, like it's that discipleship, it's continually going to the word, it's praying, it's, you know, giving God permission to move. But he's just so beautiful in like, heart surgery is a big deal, you know, and he's just like, now rest in this. And, and it's just his season of ebbing and, you know, and flowing. And yeah. And I think for me, one of the things in my own life that I've learned is is to avoid the arrogance of saying I've dealt with it. Because <laughs> yeah, the older you get, you realise <laughs> uh, that that's exactly. just not how it works. And and I know the other thing that's been shifting for me recently, this, this is only a recent thing in my walk, is rather than this striving to be someone that I think Christ wants me to be, or this striving to understand that, oh, I don't like that, that's bad fruit. I, I haven't actually, for the vast majority of my Christian life, kind of used that vernacular of fruit, bad fruit, good fruit. Um, but it's easy to understand, right, when you start to use it. And, and I think one of the shifts that's happened for me as I've unclogged some of the stuck places to be able to see Jesus a little bit clearer and the beauty of who he is and understanding the sacrifice so the you know, negating the need to have this reassurance all the time that he loved me. He died on the cross for me. So now what it is is a response to him dying on the cross for me. And as part of that response, what is shifting is, Lord, I see the beauty of who you are and I want to become more like you. So I want to conform to your likeness and so there's stuff, yeah, in me that's not great. And there's stuff that comes up that I go, ooh, that is not of Christ. And, and, and I am propelled as much as I, I can then through the power of the Holy Spirit to, 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 to you know, place those things at the cross. Um, and I'm realizing more and more and more that the me without him I don't like as much as I get older. Because I just am realizing that I just wouldn't be a particularly nice guy without Christ in my life. And so as I've gotten older, when I was in my 20s, I didn't have really that understanding. In my 30s, well, I don't know what I was doing in my 30s, I was working. Um, in my 40s, then it started to, started to come to play. And then it wasn't until we had significant trauma and I had to cling to him that I realized, wait a minute. And then he was revealing his beauty. And as he revealed his beauty, I'm going, I want that. I want that. And so as I'm getting older, I'm going, I have the days when I walk, when I recognize that I'm not particularly walking hand in hand with him. I don't like that person. So I then I draw, I, 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 in myself, I surrendered that. And I said, Lord, I want more of who you are. And I'm propelled towards him. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's certainly just my testimony of what it's what it's looking like as I'm as I'm getting older. 
Uh, sorry, Brad, just quickly. You know, when we're just circling back to what you were saying and, and you know, your experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and you're talking about taking responsibility, I don't know, if, would you be comfortable to share that moment in your house with Amy? Because I, I'd like to lead um, to into a space where, you know, we're back t- talking about um, the woman at the well where he asked the lady, where's your husband? And I think I kind of think that was a little bit of a moment for you where you kind of went, where maybe I have to take responsibility. Would you mind sharing that? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't grow up in the church, uh, became a Christian around 16. I know, well, I started attending church when I was 16. I think I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus at 19. Uh, again, and that was through a traumatic experience uh, where I lost my cousin in a motorbike accident. And it really just shook me up to say, I need to get serious about following Jesus or, or walk away. It was a crossroad moment for me, and thankfully I chose Jesus. Um, uh, did a journey, became a youth pastor of a church, did that for a number of years, and at 27 planted um, the church that I pastor now. And uh, we were six months into that church planning journey. Uh, I think the vision was just to be a missional people out there transforming the city. We're in the city of Quinana and just blessing people and loving people and um, doing lots of good stuff, proclaiming the gospel. And uh, it was a Wednesday night at, at my house and um, there was myself, my wife, um, Amy and Rachel, they were sisters and another young guy, Simon. And, uh, and I was at a point, you know, six months into planting a church and People weren't there on the Wednesday night and, and I was like, oh, you know, I was just kind of lamenting and frustrated, like, where are people? Like, this big vision to transform this city and no one's here. And, and, uh, and I, I, I said the line, what's wrong with people? And uh, Amy responded with, maybe you're the problem. And so, which, um, yeah, which was lovely to hear. Um, um, Thankfully, I responded with, tell me more, not get the hell out of my house. Um, uh, and so, again, and again, it's like that gift of humility in that moment to, to say the right thing and respond well. And, and, and she just shared, you know, like, we, we love the vision and we love what, what you're believing God to do, but you're trying to do all of that without the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was like, well, I, I want that. Like, I don't want to do it without, without God's power. And, and so uh, they offered to, to pray uh, for us, for my wife and I. And, uh, and as they prayed, they just wept as they prayed. And because they, like, we'd grown to love each other and, and we're, you know, really close, you know, friends and community. But um, they had just been contending for, for God to, to break out, not just for it to be you know, Brad and his ideas or, you know, or good biblical ideas, but now it's got to be God's power to, to have that outcome. And, uh, and so within a week, yeah, everything had shifted for me. So I didn't like have any spectacular moment on the night, but I went to bed that night and I said to my wife, I think something really significant happened tonight. And uh, within a week, um, we'd seen uh, a miraculous visitation, someone that we prayed for that a miraculous angelic visitation and turned a whole circle circumstance around um, my countenance changed so um, like people thought I'd like dyed my hair I had a haircut but like everything about my face and my eyes like softened and like people just they 
yeah, recognise I, I even looked significantly different. And uh, when I would put on worship music, I felt like God was speaking to me. We had a, a prayer meeting and it went on. It was a dinner party at a friend's house and, and they said, oh, we should pray for one another. And that went for three and a half hours. And every time I'd put my hand on someone, I'd, I'd close my eyes and I'd see pictures and visions and prophetic words and I'd never experienced God in that way. Uh, and it was just uh, just powerful. But, uh, but that was kind of that moment where... Um, thankfully I said yes to God but I had to kind of go like I'm 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 part of the problem <laughs> uh, and I think for me it's probably part of my journey is why I realized like yes if I can if I can see the part that I play that needs to change um, then things can change because God can desire change for me but if I'm not willing to yield and and, and willing to partner with him in that process then I can get in the way of the very things that God wants to do. And I think all of this conversation about, you know, even about, you know, producing, you know, good things coming out of your life and recognizing like, again, I don't want to spend too much time on the garden metaphor, but I think if, we, if it's a garden, it's like there's lots of plants in a garden. There's lots of trees, there's lots of stuff. And so for me, if there's bad fruit, then there's, there's, a, there's part of me that doesn't belong to me anymore. Because I don't think, I think if we all ask who here is not, has zero bad fruit in their life, like no sin uh, at all. And I think, I don't think anyone could say that. And if you, if you do, we can prophesy and look in and discern something in your heart, uh, pride maybe. <laughs> and so then it's like, well, if I look at that one scripture, that means I'm a, I'm a bad tree. It's like, no, you, I, I think I've, Jesus has made me a good tree. It's the righteousness of Christ that's being imputed and given to me. It's the finished work of Jesus that I lean on, like I stand on what Christ has done. He is the only one who makes me good or makes me worthy of, of, of being in relationship with God. But there can still be parts that exist in me that just don't belong to me anymore. There's un, for me, uh, and again quoting uh, uh, Chris Vallotton, uh, who he says, if I, if I believe that I'm a sinner then I will sin as an act of faith. So I have to recognize that at that moment where Jesus says, I'm going to take your righteousness and I'm, uh, your unrighteousness and I'm going to give you my righteousness, when that divine exchange happens, I have to acknowledge that Christ has made me righteous, not because of any work that I've done. Um, and so then I, I must consider then if I am who he says that I am, there's still part, there's still ways that I'll think that don't belong to my new creation identity. There's still ways that I'll behave. There's belief systems that'll be in my heart that actually don't belong to me anymore. They're part of my old nature. They're that old person that was crucified with Christ, as, as the Apostle Paul says. Um, and so, but I, I can still look at them and say, that's in me, but it doesn't belong in me. So Jesus, would you, would you take it out of me? Would you put it to death? Would you, would you nail it to the cross? Would you throw it into the fire because it doesn't belong anymore? Um, but that where we can have that ability to look inwardly and not be ashamed of those ugly places that are there, but invite the beauty of God to come and transform and, and reconcile. I think that's places. vital to maturing. And I think that's probably something that culturally today we're not comfortable with. Um, and I know, you know, coming out of the 60s with the whole positive reinforcement theory, you know, Skinner's, you know, you know we give ribbons for anyone doing anything. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but we have been taught psychologically 
so, uh, and through society that, you know, um, that we look at all the positives, but we don't look at the negatives. And what I've learned through reading the Bible is Jesus often tells us what it is to tell us what it isn't and what it isn't to tell us what it is. So we have to be equally comfortable with both sides of the ledger. Mm-hmm. And just on what you're saying, right? I mean, Romans seven eighteen. For Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so what he's saying in myself, I'm not, I'm not really cut out to do much. But Christ has done it all on the cross for me. And then he goes on, obviously, in Romans 8 to talk about living in, by the Spirit. Um, because that's where, that's where the fruit is, right? So sorry. Yeah, and that's, you know, this, this beautiful work. Sometimes we can think we come, we come into the salvation of Christ and, you know, and that's kind of it. We can, you know, just move on. And that, that teaching is, you know, as though everything is done at that point. And so everything has been done as in we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, exactly what Brad has said, and we have salvation. And then, yeah, again, that journey of sanctification into the freedom of Christ that he has brought. And one thing that I have learned on my journey is sometimes I want to be like, great, I've got that revelation or I've got that. And although I don't verbally say it, I can live as though now I am you know, I want to go on my way as though I'm independent. And God has really clearly told me, Joe, I will never, ever ask you to walk independently of me. I don't give you revelation so you go on your own way. I actually require your dependence. And it was just like, what? Like, you know, to be dependent on me, we are in, you know, it's in this together. It is we are reliant on the righteousness of Christ. We are reliant on the blood of Jesus Christ. We are reliant on the gospel message of Christ. And we're reliant on the Holy Spirit to reveal in us at the right time what needs to be revealed. Um, I love one of my favorite passages, and it's over when you come into Mispah as well, is Psalm 139. And This is, you know, that minute's that beautiful passage where David is saying, you know, a prayer to God, how intimately he knows us. Like he intimately knows each and every one of us. He knows all of our broken spaces. He knows all of our, you know, he knows everything about us. And yet his love is complete within us. It is the beauty of the love of Christ, right? And it is sitting in that revelation of going God you know me you could reveal everything you could you know there's there's nothing you know that is that is not seen in me and yet your love is complete in me and that final part of that passage where it is search me O God and know my heart and it says here test me and know my thoughts and then point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life and that's you know when we rest in that when it is we will you know we continue to to read the word of god to be in relationship with him but it's resting in his love and then you know doing all these things of discipleship but it's not this striving I remember for years and years I had such a striving mentality of needing to know more, needing to be more, needing to whatever it was to be a better Christian, Um, you know, as though I was earning, really, even though I knew God loved me, the earning of God's love. But we can sit and rest in that. And it doesn't mean we, you know, like we become these complacent Christians, which sometimes it's, you know, oh well, all done, you know, he loves me. No, that's just 
you know, that's the other side of the journey. Um, yeah, but that, that resting, but it's his job to reveal in our hearts. It's his job. I don't, I don't think we've done a good job as Christian community to equip people as to what to do with their sin. I think we've, we're very good at telling people what sin is and what they should do and shouldn't do. Um, but we're not necessarily equipped as, so what do I do with this sin, which you could label as bad fruit that's coming out of your life. I don't think that makes you, and again, I think some of these contexts of like evil stuff come, I'm not, I'm not saying you're murdering people. It's like it might be that, you know, lust is coming up in your heart or you weren't completely honest with your boss when he confronted you on that thing. Like, does, It could be little things, but we need to know. So... And if it's like, oh, I shouldn't, I'm, 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 I must, I'm supposed to be a good, I guess I've got to stop doing that. And, and we, we wrestle and we strive and then we stumble and we fall and over and over again. And then we recognize, well, I, it's almost like we can't, sin is so bad and so disgusting that I can't even look at it. So I hide it away. So then I lean into denial uh, and I just avoid those things or I, I put them into a hidden place and I don't, certainly don't share that with anyone. Um, you know, whereas the Apostle Paul says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Like there's something where we've, um, people have, shame is such a huge thing in, in people's lives, which is a whole structure that says when you do wrong, you are wrong. Uh, it's not just, you know, guilt is a gift from God, which says you have done wrong and there's a way to, to deal with that. Shame says I am wrong. There's something wrong with me and we live in these structures. And so, for me to, to be able to help people to say, no, it's okay to face your sin. Jesus has paid the price, he's broken the power, but if it's residing and active in you, then you need to go and do that journey with the Holy Spirit to get to what is that sucker? Where did that come from? And Holy Spirit, would you show me what do I need to do even to partner with you? And that can sometimes be, it can be repentance. Well, I need to repent for, for that sin that may have been committed many, many years ago. And, and so it's not, a, it's not a big deal to God. But he's like, but we're going we're gonna to do, do a little digging here and get to this thing. And, and it's not spending your whole life with, you know, internalizing and, and self-reflecting on every little thing. But, but stuff comes up in our lives and there's a reason why you're doing that. It's, and it's not just because, well, I must just be a bad person or maybe I'm not a Christian. It's like, oh no, there's this stuff that... Where God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I love that scripture. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I'm like, when I, if sin comes up in my life, I'm like, all right, me and you, God, we're going to go on a journey and you're going to find great delight and pleasure in us getting to the root of whatever this thing is that's causing me to behave in these ways that don't, that don't align with my new creation identity that you've given to me. So. Ultimately, really... Um, is developing greater intimacy with God, yep. right? Those stuck places being removed to be able to see Him more, experience Him more, hear yep. Him more, right? Yep. So I'm curious, curious, Jodes, you were talking about this. You know, you, we all go through those stages, and 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 you know, where you you want to know more and you want to do more, and you and do you, do you think that's misled identity? So not understanding our true sonship. Yeah, I. Well, my personal journey with that was, you know, we've, I've been in, you know, church leadership as, you know, really young and been around lots of conferences and, you know, doing all these things and have watched, 
you know how you've watched and heard lots of messages and and I think what happened in my in my journey when I came to this revelation was it was probably in my mid 30s we were you know um doing it was this is crazy to admit actually right now because <laughs> it's like surely you would know this and we were involved heavily um in a church leadership team and I remember God saying like just started to make me aware of I didn't know the love of God and it was and I and actually conversations came back to me where I was all about you know let's tell people how to live and you know speaking truth so I'm very much a truth teller that's one of my things and and so that was my real passion and so when I spoke it was all about the right way to live and and God wants you to live in freedom and all of these different you know these messages and they weren't it wasn't that it was wrong but it was like and he actually I specifically heard him say within my heart um, I want you to pray for a revelation of my love and I was like oh, and this is honestly my okay I'm being really honest here oh god I know you love me like whatever you know like literally right I was like I knew here I knew he loved me I knew in my head and I would tell people oh god loves you pat pat you know that was genuinely what the way I saw the love of God. And I actually began praying this prayer. I was like, okay, whatever. And God, give me a revelation of your love. It was the most transformative revelation I've ever had in the history of my life. And I barely will ever speak a message that does not speak the revelation of the love of Christ. Because I think what happens is when you get that revelation of how much Christ loves you, that it, that when that becomes affirmed in your identity so much of the performance culture so much of the doing so your life can look the same it's not saying that you know you can have two people that are doing the same things they can be doing all the right things you can be feeding the poor you can be praying for people you can be doing all of these things but if it is not founded on the revelation of Christ's love then that striving that begins to operate the trying to prove your you know yourself to God whereas honestly the most life-changing when God gave me that deep revelation Joe I just love you I love you. You could sit in this chair for the rest of your life and whether you move or whether you sit, my love is complete within you. I'm not going to love you anymore and I'm not going to love you any less no matter what you do. And like I had heard all of that but it began to sink here and it shifted my entire motivation in ministry, in my counselling, in my speaking, in everything I did because it was resting in Christ's love instead of somehow striving, trying to prove this. And I think this is a key, key factor. And since that, you know, when you I get the opportunity and it's a privilege to be able to speak to lots of different people from different walks of life. And, and I, you know, and I can pick up on that straight away. And I'm just like, Honestly, this prayer, pray for a revelation of the love of Christ because when that is attached to your identity, everything shifts. And it's not, yeah, it is. it was just so transformative. I hope that answers your question, but that is what shifted. I, I just want to back that up because I've had that revelation over the last oh, couple of years, but in relation to Hebrews 9.10, 
where it talks about Jesus' sacrifice once and for all for, for our sin. And so same, head to heart. I've known that. I've known it in my head. I've spoken about it. But when it goes to your heart and you go, oh my gosh, God, like, and it's totally um, tied to performance as well, um, completely undone at the beginning of the year about performance. And he just keeps revealing this to me through those scriptures where it says Jesus, um, once and for all, he, he went to the cross for our sin. Once and for all it was done. And he goes to prepare a place for us. And in the meantime, later on in, I think it's chapter 10, he says, and you are being made holy. So when I, I received that, it was just like this thing just sunk in me. I'm like, oh. Striving has to go. I don't have to do anything to, he's done it for me and there's a place waiting for me in eternity. Like I am his child, but I get to enjoy the journey of this life with him, being made holy. It takes all the pressure off. I don't have to do anything. He's making me holy as I just yield to him and yield my heart to him. He does the work in my heart, but all he wants is my my heart positioned towards him and my yes and he does the work and I'm being made holy and it's a lifetime of being made holy and I'm up for it and it's it's just so freeing because like we don't have to jump through hoops we don't have to earn God's love he's done it he loves us he's he's given his life for us do we believe it and can we receive that love can I quickly just say, because I remember thinking that um, just as you're speaking there when we spoke about the love of Christ, actually as in my younger years and growing up, I think, well, yeah, there was definitely elements of a religious spirit operating within me, I'll be honest. And so I saw the love of Christ as an excuse to do what you want to do. Like, and I saw people going, oh, God loves me. I can do whatever I want to do. And almost in this 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 way of like, oh, you know, don't worry, God loves you if you, you know, this kind of weak, watered-down version, which I think has, you know, it did enter the church, which really depleted and diminished the power of the love of Christ. And so I just was, I really felt to say that because if some people are thinking, you know, in that similar vein of thinking, it's almost like an excuse to live whatever life you want to do. I, when God deeply gave me that revelation, the desire to then lead a life worthy of the calling that he has called me to became so much more pure because I was truly motivated to then live that life. Whereas before, when I look back on my before moment and after moment, I was living a life that I felt I had to live, you know, worthy, but it wasn't motivated by that. And so the deep revelation of Christ's love doesn't water down your relationship in any shape or form. It doesn't make you think I can do whatever I want to do. I can, you know, it actually led me to in truly it, seek God. In fact, it propels you, right? It propelled me entirely on a new, yeah, well, new level. Scripture, you know, we love because he first loved us. And, uh, and I think I'm always taken back to Jesus when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He'd done not a single, hadn't done, performed any miracles, hadn't, fulfilled, wasn't, hadn't gone to the cross. And that's that spirit of sonship again in Romans where it talks about that we can cry, Abba, Father, from that place of, because we've been adopted. And I think that's that position, like nothing changes, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. But then from that place, I get to love him 
And so it's, it's working from love, not for love, where we've been patterned in, in our culture to work for love, for acceptance, and yet in Christ we work from that place. And we do lots of great things, but with very different outcomes. So, yeah. yeah. I'm just uh, <coughs> appreciating you know, the discussion about the trees. I wonder whether you have heard that song a long time ago. Lemon tree, what a pity. Da, 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 da. We bought a house, you know, when we first arrived here. And um, in our backyard, there's a lemon tree. And for two years, there's no fruit at all. Well, I've seen, you know, in our neighbor, there Hundreds of lemon trees, you know, like uh, uh, lemons, you know, and the lemon trees. So you know, I I know nothing about you know the church, uh, not church planting or church growing, but you know planting. So you know, one day you know the, somebody drive around and say, you know, chicken menu, chicken menu, sheep menu, you know, you know, twenty years something. Yeah. I say, you know, it's good. You know, I'm going to buy a whole bag of manure, you know, put some brick around the lemon tree, you know, and then, you know, throw all the manure in. And I hose it, you know, with a lot of water. Water, you know, fertilizer, everything is there. Wait for several months or a year, no lemons. <laughs> what happened? But I have an uncle here, and he's been in Australia for many years. And also, you know, he grew a lot of trees, mangoes, you know, everything, you know, in his front yard, backyard. I said, Uncle, you know, can, why, how come there's, there's no lemon? He's a man of few words, but he's a handy man. He just take, you know, uh, what do you call that, Caesar or what? Yeah, and just uh, prune it. You know, he said, you know, Thomas, there's too many leaves. You know, so, so, chop, 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 chop. And then just leave, you know, a few branches with some leaves. And you know what? After a few months, I, I, I smell something so sweet. Lemon tree, what a pretty. And the smell is so good. And after a while, there are so many lemons, hundreds of them. And I can pass it, you know, to the people in the church. And you know what? As I listen to you and appreciate you know, the lady who bring this up, just very simple, you know. For one thing, I don't know, you know, what you have discussed in the last conversation, but I understand, you know, for parables, you know, there's a different way of interpreting parables, narrative, and everything. This is called hermeneutics. You know, how to explain the scripture. So when you look at the scripture, it is very different. Let me read you something very interesting. Then he be Jesus. Jesus began telling them this parable. A certain man has a fig tree that had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the wine yard keep, uh, keeper, 
for three years. Three years. And I have come looking for fruits on the fruit tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why does it even use, uh, this is the uh, Amplified Bible, why does it even use up the ground, depleting the soil and blocking the sunlight? Oh, just, I don't realize, you know, they, they amplify it that way. Blocking the sunlight. But he replied to him, no, 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 sir. Let it alone, sir, just one more year until I dig around it and put the fertilizer there. Wow. So, the lemons comes out. But you know what? My brother is a PhD you know, of uh, agronomy. I say, what happened? <laughs> and he explained to me, you know, about, you know, cutting the leaves, you know, then it's, it won't, it have the chemical balance, you know, of everything. So it let the tree, the lemon tree grow. Wow, I said, as I listen, as I pray before I come here, thank you so much for this conversation. To start with, Brad said about Christians should be responsible for our growth, even working out, you know, the salvation. You know, he said, you know, I like that scripture. But Janelle said, it's already done. David said, you know, in Jesus, so who's right? It seems that, you know, it's very contradictory. But it is not. It is in theology, it's called already and not yet. We are restful. Because you know what? Praise God. The lemon is already in the tree. Hallelujah. Amen? Everything you need for the lemon is in the tree. What is blocking it are too much leaves. Even for striving for spirituality. You strive too much. So Judy said, I rest. And then the love of God comes about in your resting time. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thomas. And, you know, one of the scriptures that really was, was undergirding a lot of these conversations is, is, of course, the parable of the sower. And and ex exa exactly what Thomas is saying, you know, and, and I know for me the revelation was, you know, you, you, you hear Jesus talk about the different soil conditions and drops on rock and then thorns, and um, which I think is an interesting one, the thorns, because I think that's, that's, that's the uh, challenge we have in a lot of our Western world. You know, it says um, the worries of the world and, and the wealth um, chokes, chokes the seed. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, but, but good soil. And, and, you know, it's just, I, I remember Brad saying this, and I, I remember meditating on this a couple of years ago, that, that good soil wasn't happenstance. It just didn't happen. It just wasn't one of these things where, you know, he threw some seed and went, oh, great, you've got good soil. Oh, sorry, you had rock. No, the good soil was tended to. It was it was toiled. It was it was fertilized. It was weeded. It was it was aerated. You know. And so, whose responsibility is that? Because the lemon's there, right? 
So whose responsibility is that? And I think that's kind of what we were wanting to have, have a conversation about, is that, guys, if we go through life going, oh, well, you know, I'm just not bearing great fruit, or I'm just not doing this and not doing that, but we're not doing anything to toil the soil of our hearts, then the seed will drop. And I think for a lot of people, and certainly in my life, for a lot of years, it sprouted. It did. It took. It sprouted. But it didn't last. So then you'd go back round. Go back round. And you do everything but till the soul of your, your heart. Because when you start to do that, it's messy. When you start to do that, it's vulnerable. When you start to do that, you're giving permission for Holy Spirit to start to work. And I think that's what you know, we're saying really is our responsibility. And what does that look like? So there's always this, you know, I think in, in, in Christianese, then it's, as, as Thomas is going, yes, it, it was all done on the cross. Absolutely, that's, that's the truth. But then we have a responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have a responsibility to till the soul of our heart. And, and I think for a lot of this, sometimes we don't drink from the pot of common sense because we just want to find an excuse as to why we don't want to do the work. And then some of the theologians will come and tell us, well, that's, you know, uh, faith by works. And you go, did you not read James? Because if you don't, there is a response to the cross. So if he didn't want us to work, why would he say go out into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of men? So there's a health in all of this that we as Christians really need to understand to get out of the slumber that we're in. Because we're either consuming or we're finding excuses. There is a balance that Christ is calling us to. And yes, it starts with yielding to him. That's our responsibility. It's, and we have a responsibility to till the soul of our, our hearts. And I just think it's, it's, it's teaching that's just not been prevalent. And that's why I would say for myself, and I take responsibility for myself, I don't blame anyone for this, for years... It was an awareness of Christ, but not living in Christ. So I'd love for you to maybe circle back, I don't know what time it is, but circle back quickly on, and perhaps honing in on the responsibility. And I think part of that responsibility too, and I know it's on my heart, is this ability to grow up and be okay with our crap and be able to face it and be able to talk about it be able to face our weaknesses and be able to face the things that we don't do great in a healthy way. Otherwise, how do we find maturity? You know, I have a, uh, we run a retail business and I train the staff to sell. And I always say to them, don't ever tell me how good a salesman you are till you know how many sales you're losing. Because you can tell me you're doing a million dollars a year, but if you're losing $3 million, your hit rate's 25%. You're not great. And it's not until they can start to identify and, and actually um, articulate why they're doing that, 
that all of a sudden their ability to grow in their sales grows exponentially. And I think for us as Christians, often we just want to, we want to focus on our gifts and we want to focus on all the great stuff, but we won't focus on the stuff that we need to, in order, uh, stuff that we need to surrender in order for us to become more like Christ. And so I, w- I wouldn't mind you just maybe touching on that, Brad, and going back to the, what is our responsibility? You know? Yeah. I think even as you said, you know, is it this one or is it that one or is it that one? I'm like, yes, <laughs> is the answer. It is all of those things. It is, it is, it is God at work within us. I mean, when we talk about, uh, you know, prayer ministry, uh, I, I like to, to talk about it as it's a facilitated encounter with, with the Holy Spirit. So it's not the, the prayer minister that's leading you isn't they're not some sort of miracle worker. It's just them helping you to meet with God and him reveal something. And it could be something that's like, hey, there's, there's a judgment in your heart. Uh, judgments and reaping the fruit of judgments, so judgment coming back to this, a new, that's a new covenant concept. <laughs> it's old covenant concept, but it carries on into the new covenant. I think when we talk about where Jesus has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, absolutely the old covenant law, there are still laws that exist in the kingdom of God, in the new covenant. So around forgiveness, so if you hold unforgiveness in your heart, then you'll be bound by unforgiveness, Jesus said. If you judge, that judgment will come back. You know, If you sow certain things, you'll reap certain things uh, that come back from that. So there's all of those things where we can say, okay, so repentance is my responsibility. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it means, cool, I, I'm part of that. Now, does the Holy Spirit lift the veil and do that well yes yeah, so he's he's part of that as well but i have a responsibility to repent and i think again we look at repentance as being a one time thing repentance metanoia means to change change your mind change your perspective for me repentance is a constant thing that we're doing because we unless we repent once and then we know every possible thing about god and life and ourselves didn't happen to me. <laughs> uh, I got a little snippet and then the next day it's, it's living in that constant revelation, but I need to be prepared. It's, it's like when, if I preach and someone gets challenged by what I say, I'm like, that should be the expectation that you are learning things that you don't know, or you're learning things that you disagree with and you recognize I've, I've been believing a lie. Like we should be in that place. So repentance is a gift from God that we have that ability to be shifted in our perspective, to see him as he is. We, we often make God in our own image uh, rather, than him, rather than us being made in his image. You know, we, we create this picture of God. So in all of these spaces, we can say, okay, I've, so I have a responsibility to forgive. I have a responsibility to repent for any judgments that I've made. I have a responsibility to um, you know, to, to, to renounce lies that I've come to believe and to, to take care of that inner world. But all of those things, all of those belief systems are happening in my heart. And so if I'm not then focusing on that space, if I'm just going, okay, I did, I did a bad thing, I acted in a particular way, to acknowledge that's the overflow of something else that's going on within my heart. As it says many times, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I say, cool, so... What part of responsibility do I have in this process to partner with God to reverse, to change, to transform, whatever that, that is? Um, and that's, I think, the, 
the the big part the the gift that um, not the gift the the biggest revelation of the last probably twelve years for me has been that that I recognised God is a righteous God He has uh, laws that He has established in His kingdom in the same way like the law of gravity If I drop this microphone which I won't because I know they're expensive if I if I held it out in my hands and I dropped it I could do that a million times and the exact same thing would happen because it's called the law of gravity. And the same way in the kingdom of God, there are laws. And if we violate God's laws, it's not his responsibility to, to make that right. It's our responsibility to make that right. So, but I thought Jesus did all this. Yeah, he, the, the, the power of sin is broken. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled. But post-salvation, pre-salvation, if I violate one of God's laws, then I will suffer the consequences. And if I live in alignment with his ways, I will suffer the consequences, the benefit, the blessing, the fruitfulness. If you sow, if you sow things today, if you sow blessing, you will reap blessing. That's still a principle. Uh, I think, you know, I know people have looked at even the, the, the Jewish community where there's, there's wealth and blessing, or you go somewhere like Israel where there's this, it's like a middle of the desert, this fruitful kind of land, but they, they've, they understand, they know how to live under the blessing of God. Um, so that's a kingdom principle. You can get people who don't love God, who follow kingdom principles and, and receive the benefit of that. Um, but again, this is, not, this is not eternal salvation. This is not, does God, is God happy with me or angry with me? Does he love me or not love me? No, no, no. This is all like, me and God are good. We'll always be good in terms of our relationship, because he has chosen me, he has made, he has reconciled, everything that needs to be done for us to be in, in, in relationship has been done. How I live in response to that is my responsibility. And I think, but again, we need those tools to be able to do that. But for me, it's a, it's a, it can be a delightful thing. You know, to recognize, wow, there's some sin in my heart. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not scared of it. I'm not like, oh, great. If I don't stop doing this, God's going to strike me down and kill me or I might lose my salvation. It's like, okay, Holy Spirit, we need to go on a journey here because there's something that doesn't, I know doesn't belong to me anymore. You, didn't, you haven't created me to be a, a sinner. You've created me to walk in righteousness. And I know that your grace is present, that you delight in to go on this journey with me and we're going to remove this stuff. It's, again, we come back, it's like in the, in the, under the old covenant, if you touched a leper, you got sick. Jesus comes along, all of a sudden, he touches the leper and the leper gets healed. That's the new covenant reality that we live under, that God comes in, everything he touches that is defiled or broken or sick in me, all of a sudden he gets to heal and transform. So. I was just reading Titus 2, um, 11. I'm not a theologian, but this verse talks about the grace of God. So it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, sorry, waiting, um, where was I? Waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I think um, when it talks about training, for me, I think about what you're saying, which is accountability, because training requires you to be responsible and to be accountable. And there's a part we have to do which is renouncing. So even though the grace of God has been made available, our part we have to be in alignment with the grace of God and actually renounce these things. Thank you. But, I mean, even that word grace, which I think has been so misused and poorly interpreted uh, in modern times, yeah. to be almost that grace is the covering of all of my sins. So I don't need to worry because grace covers me. Uh, whereas I prefer the translation of grace being the empowering yeah. presence of God. And so when the, that's why, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds also, Paul talks about it. It means wherever I'm stuck in sin, there's a greater measure of God's grace, God's power to deliver me from that sin. So if I'm stuck, if it's like, oh, I've sinned, oh, I'm thankful for the grace of God. It's like, no, if the grace of God was present, if I was leaning into that, I wouldn't have fallen in that, into that sin. The mercy of God covers me, the finished work of Christ, so I'm not... I'm not punished because Christ has been punished on my behalf. I'm not going to be struck down with lightning, but I need the grace of God that I might be able to walk in righteousness. You know? And again, people talk, call grace unmerited favor, where it's, in Scripture it's merited by humility. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So if you're proud, and oftentimes this is us being self-righteous to try and do the work on our own. I've got to pull up my bootstraps and, and try harder and I'm never going to do that. I'm going to you know, cut off my right hand and, and do those sorts of things. Um, clearly Jesus is using metaphorical language in that scripture, um, I hope. Um, but it's something to say like, yeah, I, I can, I, or I come humbly before him and go, God, I just, I just messed up but I'm so thankful that your grace is available. Would you show me? And if there's, a, if there's something in play where I have made decisions that have led me to be into this stuck place or I've, I've sinned in some way that's caused this, then, hey, we're going to do that journey and you're going to set me free. And, um, but I think it's such, it can be such a, a daunting, scary place to actually look at ourselves and go, wow, there's some, there's some gross stuff there or there's some unhealthy stuff there or there's some sin there. And yet God's like, no, no, it's, 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 it's not okay that it stays there, but I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not disgusted by you because my, the, the power of God's holiness, his purity, and his righteousness wipes that stuff out. But it just needs to be invited into those spaces. So. Um, I know when God's like, speak, because my chest starts to do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm just happy listening. But when you, like, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. When you truly truly know how deeply loved you are by Christ, the natural byproduct of that is to not harm him and not separate yourself from him with your sin. It's not so much, oh, I better not do that anymore. That's again works because you're reading a, a, the Bible thinking, all right, shouldn't do that. No, my heart yearns to not harm him, to not hurt him, to not hurt others with the sin, not hurt his other children by my tiny sin that I'm like, eh, you know, so that's a byproduct of that love. It, you don't need to try. The devil works hard, so it is, there's work put in, but that work is driven by love. And, and your birthright to be with your father, like it's just this undeniable byproduct of knowing how loved you are. But 
recently what I've learned is those sins that I keep or those unhealthy roots or unhealthy fruit, whatever terminology you want to use, it's all the same, that keeps me from entering places to share the gospel because I will be triggered and eaten alive because of those things that I keep, right? Strongholds, all those things. So at this stage of my walk with Christ, before he was trying, like I didn't grow up a Christian. I became a Christian in adulthood. So I was learning about who Christ is and all those things, again, he takes you on this journey where he doesn't throw everything at you at once. You'll probably die or just run the other way. <laughs> but at this stage, he's showing me the strongholds that are so deep in there that I thought it was a part of my identity that wasn't harming anybody. So not so much like basic lying or, you know, all sin is the same. But like you were saying, there is degrees in, social, you know, in our social lives where things are more harmful than others. But I can't enter these places where I know he wants me to share the gospel because my armour will just fall down. I don't have that strong armour because of these strongholds. So toiling the soil, like I love that analogy. That spoke right into me because without doing that, how am I going to be called to the place he wants to call me to with the gifts he wants to give me? There's this massive wall there until I toil that soil and he goes, let me rip that root out. You can enter anywhere and share my truth and share the gospel because your armour is untouchable. So not only does it bless us by not having these sins there, like what a blessing even if we were to do no work, that he wants to remove those things. Like, oh, like really think about that. That is the best gift on this earth under salvation that all these things can be removed, that it's impossible for a human to actually remove themselves. But yet he can do that to benefit others. Like, is that not just the most outstanding thing ever? To toil the soil is nothing compared to what gospel you could share, like lives you could change. So it's not just us sitting on our couch going, oh, I'm glad I don't suffer from that much anger anymore. Again, he wants that because <laughs> it's a blessing. But yet it's for such a bigger picture that how could we not? But again, without knowing your love, why would you? That's great. I think, I mean... It Love has to remain the foundation. There's a reason why it's the greatest commandment. It should be our, it's our motivation to do that. Uh, and I think even what you're touching on at the end there is, um, I think we start in that place of receiving his love and that's, um, that's the basis and the foundation. Um, but I think mature love is when you love the things that the one you love loves. <laughs> so, for, so for me, I think if, you know, to maturely love my wife is not just to love what I receive from her, which is a blessing, but to love what she finds delight in. And I think that's, as, as Christians, like it's one thing. I think so many, I, I, I'll tell a little story. It's when I was um, in my early 20s and I just felt compelled by God to go onto the streets of Fremantle and just share the gospel with whoever I bumped into. And, uh, and I came across... Um, this lady, she was probably middle-aged indigenous lady, and and uh, she was. I was talking with her, and then these guys, a couple of drunk guys, walked past, mouthed off at her, and then she just got really aggressive with them. Police came and intervened, and they immediately went to her because she was being aggressive and pulled her off. And so I intervened and said, "No, no, it wasn't her. These guys had mouthed off and whatever." So I managed to kind of get her out of that and pulled her aside and went and sat down on a on a on a park bench on the 
cafe strip and and I was just she was crying and I was just talking to her and I just started sharing the, the gospel and just started telling her how much God loved her and and just you know and so she her hair was all roughly had been cut off by a partner she had scars on her face from where a partner would beat her and and I was just saying you know the father sees you and you are so beautiful to God and just just started loving on her in that way and she starts crying hearing this and just so touched by the love of God and I had come from leading you know youth group that night and these you know kids and weren't all Christians but Christians and you'd tell the love of God yeah 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 God loves us or whatever this for this woman it was so powerful another time I remember sharing with a lady in another person's backyard again wasn't a Christian me and another guy had to start sharing the love of the father and she's like this is amazing you guys need to write this down like literally put it in and she was genuine like people need to hear this stuff this is amazing like and they're blown away and just made me go man we just gloss over the fact that the creator of the universe loves you um and so i think a lot of christians need to really get that in the foundation and it's that spirit of sonship that security in that place but then again as you said then when we grow and we mature it's like but now I love you so much, God, but I want to love what you love. And that's when we love righteousness and we love justice and we love the lost and the broken, the hurting, and we, we love because they're the things that the Father loves. Otherwise, we're like, I love that I've received salvation or I love that, you know, your, your presence. And, and they're all wonderful things to enjoy, but to mature in love is to love that which he loves. And I think that's that, that whole another level that the body of Christ needs to come into. And that's when the world will be changed because people are now not, again, not consuming his love, which is, which is a gift for us, but that actually being, uh, you know, conveyors of his love and, and reflectors of his love to the world. Yeah, it's that real what it does within you, that transformation then to be, which we cannot do without a revelation of his love anyway at all. And um, and I was just, when yeah, when you were speaking also um, just thinking of, you know, that, that verse, perfect love casts out all fear. And, you know, we live in a generation right now, whether in the church, outside the church, this anxiety mentality, this fear mentality that is just consuming our, you know, um, you know, our society at the moment, especially our young people. And and I remember seeing that verse, the perfect love of Christ casts out all fear, when I was in that place of fear, thinking, that's the most pathetic verse I've ever, like actually judging the verse. I see here, all my confessions are coming out the way that my mind worked. Um, and then when getting that revelation of the perfect love, it's now my lifeline verse. It is actually like, my literally, I would have to say my lifeline verse. I think um, the perfect love of Christ casts out fear, um, and and that whole judgment. I remember suffering with lots of, you know, am I going to heaven? Am I not going to heaven? Have I done enough? Like I had this fear of going to hell, right? This crazy fear, and I was doing, you know, all this stuff because of a great fear. I think of going to hell when I look back on it. Do you know, since grasping that mentality of the perfect love of Christ, which is exactly where that passage is also speaking into fear of judgment, um, I am just that. That has evaporated. That fear has left. You know, as allowing that truth to really come in and one thing that sorry it's another little side note that I was just thinking um because I you know it says in Ephesians 6 right the spiritual warfare passage Ephesians 6 10 great passage speaking about the enemy being a strategist and so you know he has strategies and you know any and 
here we are, Paul's warning us about them. Sometimes I think as Christians we forget <laughs> and we just keep getting taken off guard over and over again by the same strategy that he's used since the beginning of time. Because um, his number, I feel, I mean, again, correct me if I am wrong, but it seems like his most common strategy is to implant a lie within each of us regarding our own identity and our lack. So it's always questioning did God really, you know, give you that? Do you really think you can do that? Like, you know, you get these dreams and these visions. And then the second one is always on the character of God, on who he is. And pretty much when you base down all of our rubbish <laughs> and I've had a lot of it will boil down to those two belief systems on how we view ourselves and how we view God. And when we get, you know, and, and those two viewpoints, they're so important, our belief system. And I have noticed in prayer ministry, each time I've, you know, sat in that chair on the other side, each time it is really the undoing. So even though we talk about toiling, you know, the soil, which is so important, it's undoing those belief systems, those lies. And again, it is the love of Christ that he, sometimes I think, why do you even you know, why do you bother with me? Like you sometimes you think, yet I'm, he wants to reveal the belief systems that are not in alignment with who he truly is. Because so often when I believe, like when we come to the word of God and we read the word of God, when it's not lining up with what we see. Has anyone else had that issue? When you're reading the word of God and you're kind of going, okay, I've read this. Oh, well, you know, my perfect love of fear, for example, casts out all fear. And reading that thinking, no, that's not right, but it was a belief system within me. And so I read the word of God with my lens point instead of going, okay, God, that doesn't make sense to me. So therefore, what lie am I believing about your character that this is not making sense? Because the word of God is always truth, not my interpretation of the word of God. <laughs> I'm not going to correct you. I'm going to confirm you. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, that's the first lie, uh, the first accusation that the devil bore. Beginning bought of time. Was, yeah, was, uh, is that really what God said? Exactly. And that, no, it's actually his character. He doesn't want you to know something. So it's that attack on his word and his character is, is the way that the enemy often brings accusations. So yeah, it's great. and over and over again when you're talking to people, and because that is what will disable um, you know, disable an entire church, disable believers is spoken to so many people who truly, truly believe that God loves them, who truly, you know, not, they just, in their head, they've got all this knowledge. They, they really want to do right things for God and they really want to go out and change the world. And then you begin to speak to them, but then it comes down to this belief about themselves going, oh, but I don't have what it takes. And therefore, really, we need to look at look at that because the word insecurity you know how we can sometimes use our insecurities to um, be like I can't do this I can't do that so my definition this is not a don't go check me up on this it's not a real definition it's my own definition of the word insecurity um, but my definition of the word insecurity is beliefs we have about ourselves that don't align with the word of God okay and so when we're sitting there and we are sometimes going yeah, I can't really, um, you know, feel God's prompting me to go and speak to that person. I feel God's prompting me to go and read a verse or to, you know, prompting me to go and do whatever, dot, dot, dot. We all have them. It can be little in a shopping centre, like going to someone and, and, you know, we get that prompt and we sit there and we go, I don't think I have what it takes. Well, then 
you hear what I'm saying? It's like going, okay, God, that is what is disabling so many of his people going out and loving on the world and really bringing his kingdom to earth is the way that we view ourselves because we're choosing not to address those belief systems that are in our soil that don't align with who he says we are. And it's not prideful to say we have what it takes to do whatever he is calling you to do. You have, you're equipped. With every, with ever, wherever Christ is calling you, he's equipping you. There might be a leap of faith involved in the process because that's the dependency required on Christ, which he's not going <laughs> to spell it all out and give us every blueprint. But it's that belief system and that is what I truly believe is as we get that revelation of who we are in Christ, address these, you know, these deep things in our life that don't align with the word of God, we're truly going to see the transformation take place out there and begin to do what we're called to do. Very long way to say that. We may have touched on it last, last time about, yeah, those, if you believe a lie to be true, it is true to you. And this is something even where, like in the Word of Faith movement, I think we need to know the Scriptures and declare them out as truth over circumstance, even when the circumstance doesn't match all of those sorts of things. The danger is when it becomes that I'm declaring a truth from scripture that my heart doesn't believe. And so the problem is I'm, I'm trying to convince myself of a truth that I don't believe. And that's where I actually need to go, you know, pay attention to my heart. My heart says, I don't believe that in my heart. And there's a reason why I don't believe that. Maybe it was a childhood experience or something that happened or a trauma. And I can go, okay, God, I believe, help my unbelief as the disciples cried out. And then to do that journey, otherwise we're, it's like we're we're working against ourselves. I know what is true, but my heart believes something different. My heart belief will trump my intellectual belief in my behaviors. I will behave out of my heart more than I will out of my head. And so if we, if we ignore the heart space and just live from that kind of cognitive space, we'll see ourselves not behaving. And it's called, it's called a, in prayer ministry circles, called a double bind. This is what I know to be true or this is what I desire to do. My heart believes different and is entrapped. So now I'm stuck within myself. Has anyone ever had that feeling? Like it's like, I know what's true, but my belief is different. So to give ourselves attention. And again, we need to renew our minds. Like it's the both, it's the both end part. We're not just saying, oh, just get all emotional or deal with your heart. It's like, no, we need to know what is truth. And there are times where until that belief shifts, I'm going to prophesy, I'm going to declare, I'm going to speak out what I know to be true from Scripture. But if I ignore the heart, eventually that's what's going to come out. So. Yeah, 100% has to be that combination, definitely. Um, this is a wrestle that I have um, not having confidence because it hasn't sunk in my heart fully. So I know what God says about me, but it's, I'm learning to believe it. So the scripture that I go to, which I love, which just speaks volumes, is by ourselves we are not qualified in any way to claim that we can do anything. Rather, God makes us qualified. So I have to remind myself, I have to, that's, the trans, that's the renewal of my mind, speaking that scripture over myself. Um, it's, not, it's not me, it's Christ in me, and he is the one. If he's calling me to something that I rely on, and it is he that makes me able, that's where I rest. Yeah. That's good. Oh, the scripture reference is 2 Corinthians 3.5. Yeah. That's great. So... I think it's it's nearly nine o'clock. 
Oh, it is nine o'clock. So <clears throat> I think for me, out of these conversations, one of the things that I'd love to explore maybe the next time we meet is actually what does it look like practically to be taking responsibility? Because uh, there's one thing to say, oh, we need to take responsibility until the soul of our hearts and we can talk about all of this stuff con conceptually, but what does that actually look like? And I think um, certainly in my experience over the last few years, this idea of prayer ministry and what that actually looks like and what, it, what does it actually mean to be looking at your, the, the soul condition of your heart, allowing Holy Spirit to, to, to into those spaces, what does that actually mean? Um, and then also I think in around that, um, and I think this is God, God's design, is, is developing a healthy community or, or a community of friends that will allow you to be vulnerable, will allow you to actually grow, allow you to be comfortable with your mess, allow you to actually be okay at looking at those places that need to be looked at, um, but also people who will address issues with you in a healthy way. What does that look like? You know, for, for Brad, it was Amy going, well, maybe the problem's with you. Y you don't get a lot of that in Christian community necessarily. You might, but you, you, it, I don't think it's the default. And how do we cultivate that? in that safe place. And I think that's really important because it's hand in hand. I think as we look at our hearts and God will do the work in us through that, um, his design is this and this, right? So then he, he, he gives us community to walk those, those, those journeys out. Um, so I'd be really, really keen to, to, um, to be able to explore that further because you know one of the things for me in my life has been I love that 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 scripture in John four woman at the well and one of the one of the things that I love about it is when Jesus turns around to her and says where's your husband? We is not many of us are prepared to ask that question. So he talks about living water. He talks about everything else. Then he goes, but where's your husband? Because he knows that there's something in her life that she just needs to deal with, recognize and deal with. It also allowed her to know that he was a prophet because he you know she didn't. No one had, you know, well, he, she didn't think that he knew anything about her. But those hard questions um, to be able to reflect, as well as people, you know, the Bible says to encourage and to edify. We need people to encourage and edify us. We need people to, to champion us. Then we also need correction and rebuke. What does that look like in a healthy way? I think, I think that's what I'd love to explore. Because, again, these spaces often get ignored because we don't understand the health in it. And, but Scripture gives us all the health, right? Um, so I think I'd love to be able to explore that next time and from the, from the perspective of responsibility. So. Sure. Just to, it made me think when you just said that, um, the rebuke part, we have, a, we have a few lady small groups now that are spread around, but we started off with this little lady small group and the Lord led us to um, invite the people we wouldn't invite to invite the people that get forgotten, all of that. Um, and at the start of that, everyone in that group, except for three of us who had started it, were just introverted, private, awkward, everything. And at the start, through a prayer, God impressed, through, like the Holy Spirit spoke through me and said, we have no right 
to bring up any sin in anyone else unless you want victory in that person more than you want in yourself. And so it just, it was like, whoa, it was this explosion of realising that, again, it's the, the log and the plank and all that that my daughter's learning at school at the moment, but it really truly is, I have no right at all to bring any massive sin up in, like any of that, unless I want full victory and want to take part in that victory with you and that deliverance. And so that changed everything. I thought, you know, I, I didn't think the opposite before, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And so when he did that through a prayer, during prayer, I was like, oh, like, did everyone hear that? <laughs> it was amazing. Like, I love, like you're saying, the love of God, like it just hits you and you're like, wow, my true, true holy love from the Lord in me yeah. for someone else is that true victory that if I don't get it, I still want it for you. Yeah, well, that's yeah. an amazing way to look at it. Amazing way to look at it. So we might finish up, hey? You've got a long drive home. Would you like to maybe close in prayer for us, please? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Father, we just acknowledge that we are um, just a, a handful of people here just seeking your truth seeking how to, to live well as your followers, Jesus, seeking how to, how to love well, how to love you well, how to love others well, how to, to receive your love well. Um, and so, God, we're just thankful for this opportunity just to have a conversation around these things. And, and Lord, our desire, my desire, and it was your desire, Father, just whatever is truth that was shared tonight, Lord, we thank, we're thankful for those seeds, Lord, uh, plant, and we just ask for fruitfulness, Lord. Anything that may have been shared that you're like, ah, oh, that wasn't really great, uh, would you just let those things just not, not land in our hearts, not land in our minds, and we can dismiss those things, because God, we're all, we all see in part, we all hear in part, uh, you are the only perfect one, God, but we are seeking you, Holy Spirit, and we just ask for uh, continuing this revelation, even as we go away from this time, and just ponder the things that were shared, or things that came up in our own mind, and our heart, and um, we just thank you that we can ponder those things with you, um, and that we truly need not fear, uh, and uh, there is no condemnation because we are in Christ, uh, and this journey is a delightful journey that we're on with you, God, as you would um, bring a greater measure of, of righteousness and peace and joy in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. So I just pray blessing on everyone as they go from here, as they travel, uh, just they'll be blessed with protection and peace in Jesus' name. Amen.